Welcome to Cat Ed Pod, a podcast with two friends who love to talk and learn together. I'm Lacey. And I'm Annie. And this is an education podcast with the tagline, Education Conversations About Equity, Transformation, and Belonging. All right, Annie, what are you reading, watching, or listening to right now? I was thinking about that while we while I was prepping for recording today, and I I'm not doing anything new. Um, so I have we just got back from a trip, and um, I made sure to annoy my kids listening to Lizzo and Megan Trainer. Um, so I was listened to a bunch of that. Um, at home, I'm just kind of watching the same old things that I always watch just as background noise. So nothing too interesting right now. Um, but I think I'll be ready to start binging things soon. My husband asked me to start binge watching. Oh, I forget what he, what the name of it is, but there's some new show. So maybe next time we meet, I'll be able to talk about whatever, whatever he wanted to start watching with me. So yeah, nothing too interesting right now. What are you reading, watching, or listening to right now? So I feel like I'm kind of in the same space. Um, so I'm not reading really anything, just kind of enjoying the last like few days of summer uh, time with the kids. But we recently, my family went on a trip to North Carolina to visit uh, my best friend um, and his family. And so it was a, like a 10 hour plus drive for us. And my husband made like a little playlist of like all these songs that he likes. Um, on, it may have, may, you know, made his playlist. And so, like, for the ride there, he listened to his songs. They were, like, old school R&B. Like, songs like uh, Otis Redding, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, was one. It was some songs from the Gap Band. And so my husband, like, on the way there, was just kind of vibing to himself because we left early. The kids were still sleeping. But on the way back, like, my, my husband had, like, the music up. I was like introducing these songs to our children who they kind of heard these songs but it was like like this is daddy's music uh and so it was so funny because like then my kids start kind of requesting some of the songs oh, like, they, awesome. didn't really, they didn't really know all of the words uh but we also have like music from like my high school kind of like early college years like music soul child uh we had some pj morton in there and so it was just like a vibe it was like, I felt like we were like sitting on a porch, like sipping, <laughs> sipping lemonade, like a breeze blowing through. It was like so nice. And then my husband was singing and I love when he sings and like he was singing to me and I was like, oh, this my, this my man. <laughs> and our kids are like, yeah. But uh, it was, yeah. It, so I just listened to a lot of music over the last, those days of traveling. Yeah. Yeah. So we both were traveling. Um, we both actually ended up in the same state where we were traveling to, but we didn't see each other because it was like, I think we left the day you were arriving and we were like, you know, hours apart still in this state. But um, it was nice to just be able to take some time with our families and, and be able to relax. Yeah. Whatever relaxing is when you have to plan a vacation for for my family five for your family six right like i mm -hmm. by the end of it i told my husband i said it's exhausting entertaining five people for seven days like that was just exhausting to me 
Yeah. See, and my kids are like they like their expectations are not high. Right. Like my kids were like, can we go to Bucky's? Because they saw the sign. So like my son is like, can we eat? He wants food. And then uh my two youngest girls like, can we go on a quick trip? Because they wanted slushies. So like 10 hours, well, by the time we did stops and everything, like 11, 12 hours, they didn't care because they had snacks. Uh, and then, like, even in North Carolina, we were able to visit this Black-owned bookstore. I cannot think of the name, but I will find it and we'll put it in the, uh, we'll tag it on here. But we visited this Black-owned bookstore in Durham, North Carolina, I believe. And it was just such a cool vibe. We got to meet the owners and uh, speak with her. And so, yeah, it was just, it was a trip that we didn't have to do a lot. Like, we That's were able nice. to actually rest. Uh, even though my kids got up, like, six-something in the morning, like, ready to go. But the hardest part was, because we stayed with my friend, getting everybody ready for church. Because mm. it, it's, like... It doesn't matter how many bathrooms we had. It was just like taking forever to get to get us ready for church. But we, we loved it. That's awesome. Um, so we're going to move on to our news article. And I'm going to introduce it um, because it's something that comes out of Illinois. And the article that we're going to talk about today talks about Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, SIUE. And um, while SIUE is not the only school that's doing this work, Lacey and I thought it might be nice to just... Um, bring to light where we met, right? So um, be able to talk about the place where we met and where our um, our kind of collaboration started. So in the state of Illinois, um, there was a essentially a huge grant, a huge lump of money that was given to the early childhood field. And some of that money um, built this scholarship that's called Early Childhood Access Consortium for Equity, um, or ECACE, -E, and people are pronouncing it different ways. Um, but essentially, it's expanding eligibility for adults um, who want to pursue a credential or degree in early childhood education. So essentially, what this scholarship is doing is de decreasing the barriers for being able to get a degree and teach and have you know, like an income, a, a, a livable income um, in the early childhood field. So um, while this article that we're talking about is from SIUE, I actually teach at Western Illinois University in this program. So as an adjunct, um, I teach, I'm teaching one class right now, some um, in the fall and spring, sometimes I teach one, sometimes I teach two. But essentially, it's really helping colleges and universities think outside the box on what how can we reach people who may not traditionally be in a university setting? So for example, all of the courses I'm teaching at Western Illinois are online, asynchronous. Um, I do it very um, competency-based. So just show me that you know what the information is. Show me that, that you're competent in it. Um, but this article that we're looking at is really talking about the work that's happening at SIUE. So Lacey, kind of being out of Illinois and not in all of this at WIU or SIUE, when you read this, what were some of the things that stuck out to you? Um, so one, because I am a SIUE graduate. Uh, my mom went to SIUE and graduated with her bachelor's. 
So like SAU is very uh, familiar to me. And also being an adjunct instructor and professor at SAUE, which is, you know, we did a collaboration. We, we taught the collaboration course and everything like that. Uh, I love that they are, that one, Illinois has has provided the money to get this, to, to do this, because I always felt that going to college, well, going to college is expensive. It It is, it costs money. It's expensive. And like, this is another way, this grant and this program is another way for people who may not have the funds, the resources, the childcare, uh, you know, may not have the different privileges to get their education. I have worked amongst some amazing, amazing teachers, teachers assistants who have not been certified, who are not certified. Um, I've home, you know, home child care centers, um, daycares. I've, I've seen some really great teachers that don't have that credential, that have not been to a four-year college. And a lot of it's just like circumstances and not having that opportunity. And so I'm so glad that SIUE has this program. Um, so a quote from the article says, the ECACE funding recognizes and is responsive to the needs of the current early care and education workforce, which are primarily women, including women of color. And that was said by Stacy Kirk, who is uh, the professor of the Early Childhood Education Program Director, and she's a co-principal investigator uh, that's on this grant. And Stacy was actually my supervisor, both of our kind of supervisors mm -hmm. at one point while we were at SIUE. And I remember just being in meetings and us just as a staff trying to brainstorm to figure out how we can support our students and kind of recognizing the pattern of like what students aren't here. Like I, you know, my kids went to daycare in East St. Louis. And so like, like what are the barriers to get some of these teachers that four-year degree? Um, and so I, I'm glad, I'm glad the SIUE is doing this. Uh, and, you know, I think back, like, on my own situation, because I was a teacher assistant for many years at SIUE Head Start, and then I I had to go back and get some more schooling to keep my position due to some changes in HR, and so my husband and I just made the decision that I would just quit and go back to school full-time, and, like, I was lucky that my husband could afford to, do to that. pay for... Yeah, to, to 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 so that we keep living. Like I was lucky, and you know, yes, we had to do some adjustments and budgeting and stuff like that, and go without for some things. But that everybody doesn't have the opportunity. So that this program, I'm glad that they have this program, and that there's an actual news articles. So like to me, that says, hey, we're trying to get this out, not like oh, we're trying to keep this a secret. Like we want people to apply, we want people to right. have access to this. And what I'm hearing of this, so this has been in the works, not just at SIUE, but in the state for, I want to say, a couple years. Um, and one of the things that brings to mind is in our book, we have, and you, my, many of our listeners might have seen something similar, um, but it um, talks about equality, equity, justice, and it's a tree. 
right? And the tree sometimes is bent over, has apples on it. Some people can reach the apples, which are supposed to represent resources. Some people can't reach them. And But what we have to do is we have to think about the trunk of the tree and not bend it towards the people with more privilege, but try to straighten the trunk of the tree out, which is nearly impossible if you think about a tree and the metaphor of a tree. But what I see this, this grant doing is at least spreading the apples across the tree, if not starting to try to pull up, you know, that, that um, the trunk of the tree to really try to cr create equity, justice, um, breaking down the barriers that are, that are decreasing participation from some populations um, that are preventing some people from getting an, from getting a, a, a four-year degree and then being able to use that four-year degree. Because we cannot change right now the fact that you need a four-year degree to be on a teacher scale. We can't change that. What we can change is leading up to that. How can we get people on that teacher pay scale? And that's really kind of where I see this coming at. So awesome work, SAUE. Awesome work, Illinois. Um, yeah. Any, any last things from that? Awesome work, the SIUE Early Childhood Program. There like, you go. Specifically. Awesome. Yes, yeah, specifically. Like, like that, you know, those are, those are, you know, my, those are my people. I think those are our people. Right. Um, you know, there's been some changes throughout the years and, but that's still a special, has a special place in my heart. Yes, for sure. Right. So we're, we're going to move on to our topic, right? Yes, that's what I'm going into. Okay, cool. Yep, introduce our topic. So um, as we have started last, the previous podcast, is we're going through uh, the myths of equity that are found. You can find them in our book, which is Coaching for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Accessibility, and Belonging in Early Childhood. And this is a step-by-step -step guide for programs and schools. So on the previous episode, we discussed the myth, myth number one, uh, and it was children in, in early childhood are too young to learn about equity. And if you have not listened to the episode, go on back and listen to the episode. So today we're jumping into myth number two. And myth number two says, it is fine to just keep things like they are. And so from the book it reads, the fear of the unknown can stop us from questioning practices that we have always done. If we are truly going to transform environments for all, we cannot continue to use the same policies and expectations that we have always used before that we have always used because, frankly, they are built on exclusionary practices and mindsets. So, yes, Eddie, what are your thoughts? What are your reflections? So one of the things is, like, can't we just keep it the way it is because it's fine? And we have to think about who's saying it's fine. People are saying it's fine for the people it's worked for. And usually those are the loudest voices, and that's the uh the non not historically marginalized groups right um and so well it's fine it's been working for me okay great but let's think about your intersectionality and your your identity are you heterosexual are you white are you a man are you middle to upper class right like what are the the privileges that you have that it's been working fine for you and who are in those places with you 
Um, is it people who share your identity? Well, it's working good for everyone because that's who's there. But our goal, I would hope, is to diversify, is to think about inclusion, is to think about having multiple voices at the table. And if multiple voices aren't at the table, it's not fine. It's not working, right? Um, and so my kind of pushback is, no, we can't keep it the way it is because we're excluding someone. Um, and as Lacey and I often share in coaching is, who are you willing to exclude and why? Because if a voice isn't at the table, it's being excluded. So who are you willing to exclude and why? Yeah. And I, so I think about like when we work with organizations who um, like the staff and most of the students, most of the families kind of all share the same kind of identity. Um, you know, if it's race, if it's the kind of socioeconomic status, if it's ability, disability, just kind of like, oh, we don't have to consider that because that doesn't apply to us like that doesn't affect us um and so like but it is important to to be aware of what we're presenting because i remember i saw uh this billboard the other day i was driving on the street and it said that school is supposed to teach you how to think not what to think and so like i thought about it i live in florida and so I thought about that that bubble, that billboard, and I was like, um, I was trying to figure out like what do they reference? Like, is this about like you know some woke quote unquote agenda? Is this about equity? Is it about diversity? Like, what does this mean? And so then I started thinking kind of back about like Christopher Columbus and like the whole, you know, the the settling in the, in the America, and I kind of started to think about you know. People say talking about diversity is like we're trying to teach children what to think. But presenting like Christopher Columbus and, uh, you know, certain people as heroes and only telling one side of a story, like you're really trying to teach students what to think. Like that's exactly what you're, you're doing. Um, and so we, we have to make changes. Like we we have to, as educators at schools, we have to be willing to 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 change, to tell the truth, to allow students to kind of reflect. Um, we can't keep things just how they have always been because they they leave out a lot of people. History silences a lot of people. Right, and for the people who saying it's just fine, those people often have not been silenced. Right. They have been the ones who are speaking out and saying, well, it works fine for me. My dad, you know, owns a business like like and, and I am not even saying that for like listeners, but like thinking about my own family, like I could see myself saying this. Right. So my family is has been landowners in America for four generations. The system's working great for us. Right. But that doesn't mean that the you know the black family down the street who this is their first time ever owning something that the system's working for them right like my family just because of our identity and how life worked we have you know generations of land ownership which is often linked to generations of of wealth whatever wealth looks like and um families who have been historically marginalized haven't had that and so 
like I could I could see people who share my identity saying this thing. It's oh, it's fine. Like mm-hmm. we're fine. But mm-hmm. this I not to get into the um to get into this, but like um reparations. Like mm-hmm. no, the system isn't fine. We have, you know, we lost a whole bunch of black wealth when um Black Wall Street was destroyed, right? And and so thinking about that, like we have to think outside the box and we have to think about history and you have to know the history to be able to say, actually think things aren't fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna add a little, a little note. Yep. Just because one person that has a historically marginalized identity may say it's fine, you like that is not, that is not enough to be like, oh, well, no, so-and-so said, so-and-so who has a historically marginalized identity said, it's okay. So yeah, oh, it's it's not a big deal. Like, I, I, like, you can't let one person speak for identity, speak for a gender, speak for a race, speak, you you can't do that. Because um, I Wait, know sometimes- Keep going. Because I know sometimes that is, a, if, if you get one person that's, that it doesn't, that it may not affect them and, and they say it's okay. Like as an organization, you st- you still have to, you have to consider multiple views. And so that makes me think of two things. Um, one of them, confirmation bias. So confirmation bias is the idea, like I'm only listening for things that confirm what I already think. So um, being careful of that. So thinking about what Lacey said, like just because you hear one person with a marginalized identity say that everything is fine, does like be aware of your confirmation bias. The second thing is one of the community agreements that Lacey and I always share is speak from the I, right? Like each person is an individual. We have to speak from the I, we have to listen from the I. So I cannot, so this often happens in um, research wise, you know, like it says like in college courses, like the professor will say, hey, you're Asian. Tell me how Asian Americans feel about you know, uh, Asian fusion restaurants and the one Asian in the class, the M1 Asian student in the class is like, well, you know, and it's like that one Asian student cannot speak for every Asian American. They all have different experiences, just like the one black student or the two black students in the class or LGBTQ students. And like the idea, like we have to listen from the eye. It is only that one person's experience that isn't the holistic group because groups are not monoliths. That's where intersectionality comes in, right? We have a lot of diversity even within certain marginalized groups. So the answer to this myth about can't we just keep things like they are? The answer is no, we cannot keep things like they are. Nope, it's, eh, it's a no. Yeah. So we hope that we have started the conversation for you and we want you to keep the conversation going. Bye.